listening to sermons from South Point McDonough, where we are equipping the family of God for the mission of God, to see everyone around us transformed by the gospel of Jesus. For more information, please visit southpoint.org. Thank you, Ben and Chris, for leading us this morning. Uh, so many folks are just so encouraging. Um, as we just think back, I, I talked about some things that were happening this past week, but I'm often reminded of uh, the power of God and what he is doing in and among our people. And so I would encourage you, if you uh, are maybe on the margins of South Point, if you're looking for a way to be invested or if you're looking for a way to uh, invest in the lives of others and have your life invested in as part of his mission, his plan, his kingdom. Uh, I would encourage you, this morning our ladies gathered and prayed and that's just always a sweet time. I'm not in there, but I know when they come out, there is a, uh, a spirit of thanksgiving and they are bringing our requests as a body before the Father. And even talking to some of them beforehand and some after. Um, I just wanna say thank you to the ladies for gathering and praying for us, um, praying for those around us, what God is doing. I would encourage you to join a life group. We have those that meet so often throughout the week. You can find more information on the Next Steps table out there in the atrium. Uh, join a DNA group. If you need any information about things that are happening with part of the church, uh, go to southpoint.org. We have the information there. And I would encourage you, this is but a microcosm on Sunday mornings of what God is doing in and among his people here in McDonough and Henry County and the surrounding areas. Um, and so thank you for letting me be a part of this time together. I'm, I'm always encouraged, especially yeah, by folks who get here early to serve. Um, anyway, I could stand up here and do this for an hour. A couple of things uh, that, are, that are coming uh, up quickly in the next couple of weeks. Next Sunday, we begin our Advent series, November 27th. Advent cannot start any earlier than November 27th, and so this is the year it starts the earliest. Uh, and so for the next four Sundays, we'll be looking at Advent as time of arrival. Uh, and then we're having a Christmas Eve service. And so this announcement encapsulates all those things. And so you have some invite cards there on your seat. Grab these. Um, invite someone uh, during one of these next Sundays, but also to the, our Christmas Eve service. And that's gonna be at five o'clock right here in McDonough. There's gonna be one at five o'clock also in Locust Grove. And so that's a little bit closer for you. They're gonna be doing the exact same thing down there, except the preaching here is gonna be a little bit better. Um, no offense to my dad. Um, but uh, yeah, so make sure you make plans this Advent to join us. Uh, and then Christmas Eve, invite someone to the Christmas Eve service. We will be having a Christmas Day service at 10.30 Christmas morning. I know there are really, really important things happening that morning, but we're going to gather as the people of God and serve. The, never mind. Uh, I won't guilt you into that. But we are going to be gathering together as his people Christmas morning. It's going to be a short service family worship. I'm probably going to wear my jammy jams. So um, just show up, join us that morning. Secondly, this Wednesday, everybody say this Wednesday. Perfect. That is November 23rd. We are having our yearly annual Thanksgiving uh, outreach. And so there are some pans for you in the atrium. If you have not signed up yet, I've actually got a, a list of things that we need. Chris sent me these this morning. Here's what we need. If you have not signed up for anything yet, we are almost there when it comes to signing up for food. So we have uh, five spots left for turkeys. Uh, relatively easy, a little bit of rub on those, throw them in the oven, not a huge deal. I'm smoking a couple tomorrow, but you can make them very simple. You don't have to smoke them. We have spots for five turkeys left. We have two mac and cheeses left, a couple of green beans, three dressings. That's stuff that you have to prep beforehand. 
again, not difficult things, but we need everyone to participate. So if you have not signed up for anything, I would encourage you to sign up online, southpoint.org. You can grab your pans today. Make sure they fill up 12 to 16 servings in each one of those pans, information on the website, all that kind of stuff. If you can't make food and bring those, a couple of other things that you can do is you can actually purchase pumpkin pies and gallons of sweet tea. So we have four spots for pumpkin pies left. Each one of those spots is six pumpkin pies, and we have six pot spots for sweet teas left. Each one of those are also for six gallons of sweet tea. So uh, not a ton of spots left, but if you have not signed up, we need you to sign up today. Bring that food to Locust Grove Wednesday night by 6 p.m. Everybody say 6 p.m. We'll be gathering, we'll be uh, putting that food into boxes and delivering that to hundreds, uh, over 600 people in the area who are needy. We get, people ask, where do we get those names? Uh, we get those names from a few different places, from schools, uh, from friends of family, uh, from Pregnancy Resource Center, and it's our way of serving the community, those who are in need around and among us. So make sure you sign up for that. That's this Wednesday, Thanksgiving Eve. Lastly, if you're new to South Point, grab a Connect card. There's one in the seat back in front of you. Uh, fill that out with some information. Take it to the Next Steps table there in the atrium. We have a small gift to say thank you for joining us this morning. Like David said already, uh, we, we cherish the time that we have together, and we are honored that you would choose to worship with us. And we want to give you a little more information. We'll send you an email just how you can be connected with us as a church, what we're about see how we can serve you and your family, answer any questions, that kind of thing. So fill that information out um, and then drop that off out there. We have been, uh, as Chris prayed, we have been in the book of Daniel for several weeks. Today, we're actually gonna be closing out the first half of the book of Daniel, chapter six. So I wanna take us and show us where we've already been and then today, finish out chapter six. Before we do, I wanna start with this question. And this is, the book of Daniel has answered this question through his life. But here's the question for us this morning. How do you live when you don't get the life that you want? How do you live when you don't get the life you want? Now, last week we saw a couple of different responses. We saw there the response of King Darius. We saw the response of Daniel. We saw the response of the satraps. And we boiled it down to really two or three options. The two options that were either faith or fear, either faith in God or faith in yourself or fear because you don't know the outcome. But here's what I think is interesting, both about faith and fear. The response of both faith and fear, when you don't get the life that you want, both of them are found in what you perceive controls the most power. Your response of faith and fear, both of those are rooted in what you perceive to control the most power. So now you may think that, you have the most power in your life. And I struggle with that. We, it's not like I can look back at my 38 and a half years of life. I know, I look way younger than that. Uh, my, my 38 and a half years of life and say, oh, I've never struggled with this or this is what I've always thought. No, we, we, we vacillate in and out of these. At times I think, I perceive that I'm in control, that I have the most power. Maybe you think that someone else has the most power, has the most control. Maybe you think that God does. And hopefully we're spending at least some of our lives living there. Maybe you think something in this world that success or money can provide for you control and power. And we put our faith in those things and all of a sudden when they disappoint, then you run to fear. Oh man, I'm out of money. The stock market is down. I lost my job. This person didn't come through. This relationship has turned its back on me. Things didn't work out the way that they were supposed to. 
both of those things, you put your faith in something. When it fails you, you run to fear. So when we look at the life of Daniel, we have to understand he stays in that mindset so constantly. His faithfulness is evident that when he gets the life he doesn't want, what does he do? Does he run to faith in something else besides creator God? Does he run to fear? Is he scared to death not knowing who's in control? No. He remains faithful to the one who has called him. It's because of his faith in God that allows him to be faithful. So I want us to answer that question for us this morning. We've seen that already in the book of Daniel. But before, as we jump in, I'd like for us to repeat these words. May this be our prayer this morning. This comes from Psalm chapter 119. So repeat these words after me. Open my eyes that I might receive your wonderful word to me. Awesome. May that be our prayer. May that be true in us. So as we go back, uh, we've actually, we've seen nine major points through the first six chapters. We, we've had more points than that through the sermons, but um, this is sort of like when an opera or a symphony or a musical or even a cantata, remember those? Uh, when one of those begins, you hear kind of this, this theme music, this primary line that weaves its way all throughout this piece of music, this piece of art. And so we've heard some of these all throughout the book of Daniel. And so if you want to take notes or uh, take pictures of the screen, I've got nine of them, three slides uh, worth of three. But we've seen these. And so we begin in chapter 1. Here's the first thing that we saw, and I had to write these down. Um, but the first one that we saw in chapter one is that the spirit of Babylon is a counterfeit to the kingdom of God. The spirit of Babylon. So Daniel and his three friends at least, but thousands of exiles come from their homeland in Jerusalem, and they're made exiles there in chapter one. And they're presented with these counterfeits. And so we're set up from Genesis chapter 3 with the fall while we're all in sin. All the way that we see in Revelation chapter 14, we see the spirit of Babylon that is a counterfeit to the spirit and to the kingdom of God. And Daniel is a proliferation of that dichotomy between these two spirits. And so we see the spirit of Babylon. The second thing that we saw there in chapter 1 is that followers of Jesus are never at home in this world. You are always in exile in this world. We talked about how a fish doesn't know that it's in water. If you asked a fish, what is water? He was like, this is just how I live. And so often we think this is just how we live. The world is just as it is. The, the, what we like to do is we like to create this reality for ourselves based on who we are, our own identity, the way that we look, the things that we're good at, the things that we have, the possessions, the success, the the ideas, how smart we are. We like to create our own realities that we can control and have power over. Am I right? But here's what Daniel sees. And we'll see this especially as we pick up with Daniel chapter 7. We're going to uh, do chapter 7 through 12, Lord willing, in the spring, beginning the very last Sunday in January. But we're going to see that Daniel sees a truer, better, more ultimate reality than what we have today. We just see what's right before us, and we live right here in the midst of this, giving ourselves to the spirit of Babylon, living for the approval of others because we fear man so much. But Daniel has eyes that are set on heaven, a better reality. We're not simply material people living in a material world. The, the great philosopher Madonna, she had a song called Material World. Then she said, We're, I'm just a material girl living in a material world. Remember that? Anybody born a little before me? Yeah, some of y'all, yeah. Uh, she's, we're not that. 
we are immortal souls living in a material, mortal world. We saw this in chapter 2. I'll go a little bit quicker. So we have in chapter 2, we saw that we are to love and serve within the fading kingdom as we are waiting for the final kingdom. Daniel, his three friends, they serve relentlessly, faithfully to this king, to King Neb, someone they did, not, they did not agree with. He brought them out of their homeland, turned them into eunuchs, made them eat a special diet. He, he took them away from their family. They had no hope of living up to their dreams they had for themselves, but they remained faithful. We saw, number four, that you may not know what the future holds, but you know who holds the future. And we saw this with the dream that Neb has, and we have this stone that is Jesus Christ coming to crush all the other kingdoms of the world. Chapter three, we pick up, and we saw this, that God can, but even if he doesn't, we're still going to worship him. God could have rescued Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego when they refused to bow to the golden idol that Neb set up for himself. God could have rescued them from the fiery furnace. He could have said, you're never going to go into the fiery furnace. And they told King Neb, you know what? God can rescue us. We don't have to go in there. And if he does, that's great. If he doesn't, we're going to worship him anyway. We saw in the fiery furnace that probably Jesus shows up, a Christophany, he shows up and he does deliver them. They didn't even smell like smoke. What we don't take away from that is if, you're, if you say the right things, if you have enough faith, then you'll be delivered from the fire. What we take away from that is God can deliver us. But even if he doesn't, we're still gonna worship him. We also saw this in chapter three. You cannot make a difference unless you're different. We must be set apart. We must be a holy people. Chapter four, we pick up we, we saw this, you cannot hate people and reach people at the same time. Daniel had an incredible love for Neb and for the people of Babylon. He wanted to reach them. He wanted to hear Neb at the end of that chapter proclaim the riches and the excellencies of Christ. That was his goal. Chapter five, we saw a couple of weeks ago, when you realize your days are numbered, you start living for the kingdom that will never end instead of the one in which you find yourself. So this is where we switch, and, and Belteshazzar, he has a dream. Uh, or, sorry, there's a handwriting on the wall, and the word of God comes down. The hand of God writes that your days are numbered. You are going to be counted. You're going to be weighed we're living for a future day. Our days are numbered. And then last week we saw this lastly and ninthly. We are being called to live for the Lord, not only when it costs us everything, but also when it changes nothing. Because last week we got Daniel into this lion's den. Now, I find it interesting. I think the principle here for us is that the spirit of Babylon through the workings of Darius, he takes enormous house cats, okay? The principle here has to do with cats. We don't, I mean, like it's kind of there in the Hebrew, but hopefully we see this, okay? You know my hatred for cats. And I just want to double down on that fact that the spirit of Babylon was working through Darius when he says, this is the worst. You have to be stuck with a cat, okay? So he says, I'm gonna create this giant hole and just put enormous cats called lions in this, okay? So for anyone here, you're like, man, why is he always hating on cats? It's in the Bible, okay? Just get a dog. 
Just be better than that. You can, I promise you. By the power and spirit of God. I'm just kidding. So, so last week we saw, but at the end of this narrative that we get to at the end of chapter six, nothing really has changed for Daniel. His life keeps getting put on the line. He remains faithful to God. Shepherd, Meshach, and Abednego, you must bow. We're not going to. We're going to remain faithful. Nothing in the nation here changes for these men, for these women who are in exile, yet they remain faithful to God. And we saw last week, back to this fear and faith um, idea, we saw that King Darius, he thought that he had the most power. And when he realized he did not have the power to save Daniel, what does he do? He moves into fear. He can't sleep. He's looking for a loophole. He doesn't want to eat nothing. So the night, so last week we left off in verse number 18. Daniel is there in the pit with the lions. Darius can't sleep. He's nervous. He is scared to death. We saw with the satraps, which are the, which, which are the religious, uh, which are the politicians of the, of the day. They had faith in themselves. So they're feeling really good about this. They think I'm in control. But then we see Daniel there in the midst of the lion's den. He's got faith in God. The situation, the circumstances had not changed, but his faith is in God because he knows who is in complete control. There was no fear in him. It was simple faith. So I want us to pick up right here in verse 19 today. We're actually gonna see five things from this text as we close out these first six chapters. I wanna see five things. The first thing that Daniel sees, and I want, us to, I want us to see this as well, I think the Holy Spirit has this for us as well, is that the only thing worse than a lion's den is a reality that is not connected to the Father. The only thing worse than a lion's den is a reality that is not connected to the Father. Remember, Daniel has the perspective of a greater reality, the presence of God, obedience and faithfulness to a God who is faithful. He remains faithful. So we're gonna pick it right here in verse number 19. We're gonna walk through this passage uh, in, in sections, but we'll try to go quickly. Verse 19, then a daybreak, at the break of day, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. As he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, Oh, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? He says, notice what, notice the relationship between Darius and Daniel. He loves Daniel. Even though they disagree on so many things, the attitude, the nature of Daniel. At this point, we saw that, that Daniel is old. He's between 80, maybe even 90 years old. He's old and he's been faithful to Darius and to the other rulers up to this point because of his faithfulness to God. He has expressed love to these rulers, to these leaders. He has not been a pain in their side. In faith to God, he has responded in love to those who are in charge of them. The decision for Daniel to be in the midst of the lion's den was made years before. We see that the God that you serve continually, and we saw it earlier in chapter six a couple of times, the satraps, those who trapped Daniel, they said, we know that he serves God. If we're gonna trap him, it must be according to the, to the covenant that he has with his God. We know that he prays constantly. This is the pattern of his life. Going to the lion's den was not a decision that Daniel made spur of the moment. He had made that decision years before. He had been faithful. The cost had already been counted in Daniel's life. 
He had already counted the cost. We've, we've, we've said this, we've seen this. Daniel is not an incredible example of what a prophet or what a pastor, or what a martyr, or what a missionary is supposed to be. He is an example of what an employee in the workplace, in the marketplace of how they are supposed to live, what faithfulness looks like as a government employee. Now, he has all the other giftings. He has the ability to interpret dreams. That's pretty sick, right? Whenever uh, me and my wife were like, hey, did you have any cool dreams last night? I ask my kids that all the time. Do you have any cool dreams? And if it's me and my wife, I'll say, what do you think that means? It's one of my favorite questions, one of her least favorite questions. I'm like, she's like, I don't know. I just, you know, ate, you know, too much ice cream last night or something. I'm like, yeah, but that dream must mean something. Daniel had these other giftings. It wasn't like we had Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Ezra, all these other guys, Elijah up here, and then Daniel's down here as this like semi-pro prophet. He had all the other giftings, all the giftings of these other guys, yet he remained faithful where God had him. Last Sunday, we went to my parents' um, Right now, they're in between housing situations. They're in a, in, a, in a condo over in Hampton. And we went there to celebrate my dad's birthday. And on the way there, I called my mom and dad. And I said, hey, we're on our way. Can you come down and let us in? And my dad sounded a little, um, we'll say grouchy. He sounded a little grouchy. I said, what's going on? He said, your mom doesn't know anything about this Telluride. He's in Colorado today. Hopefully, I don't think he knows how to access our podcast, but hopefully he doesn't listen to this, okay? So I'm like, okay, what's going on? Well, they bought, this, they bought a, a new Telluride last week because their other vehicles are um, just piles of, of poo at this point. So they went and bought this brand new Telluride. Well, my mom doesn't really understand how it works. I, I would not be surprised if she didn't know how to crank it up. Now, my dad bought it for her. Like, it, she's supposed to be the one who drives it. But she doesn't really know anything about it. And so he's up in their condo, and he's looking out. He sees the Telluride, like, trying to get out of a parking space. And he's freaking out. My mom was actually showing it to some of my nieces and nephews and eventually wanted to show it to my boys. Uh, but my dad's upstairs, and he's like, my phone is blowing up. I'm getting alert after alert after alert from, uh, from who makes the Telluride? Kia from from my Kia app because I tell you right she doesn't know what she's doing and it was awesome but here's the thing for most of my life growing up uh, we've mostly driven just like not clunkers but just like some good reliable non-fancy family sedan type vehicles right growing up we had we had a Crown Victoria Remember the Crown Vic? Man, we got some good 80s throwbacks today. Yeah. We had a Crown Victoria, and it wasn't brand new, uh, but, it, but it worked. It was reliable. After that, I remember we had this, uh, this blue, uh, it, was, it was like a Chevy Astro van. Remember those Astro vans? They were awesome. This thing, it like glowed in the dark. It was so blue. It was sick. After that, we uh, had a little, a little small car. I don't know what it was. Um, but we, it was, uh, we, had, we had to go three deep in the front. Now, I'm the oldest of four kids. This vehicle sat, it was a uh, Toyota Cressida is what it was. Uh, it sat six people in this station wagon type vehicle. So we had to ride three deep in the front at all times and then three in the back. Like it was, it was cramped. But you know what? That Toyota Cressida was reliable. It did what it needed to do. It was faithful. You see where this is going? Um, after that, I mean, we had what I call the big brown dookie van. And uh, it was like one of those homeschool vans. You know what I'm talking about? 
It was like one of those. I know some of y'all are offended, but you've got one. So, so if, you're offend, if, you, if you're offended by that, that's who I'm, I'm preaching about. Uh, but we had this big brown dookie van, and it just looked like a turd with wheels. Like, it was, it was enormous. Like, it had enough room in the back. You could, like, play soccer. It was, it was ginormous. My first, my first vehicle about that time, my very first vehicle was a 64 Cadillac, which uh, got, like, six miles to the gallon. Yeah. So, my second vehicle, shortly thereafter, when I turned 16, was an 89 Honda Accord. And it had the, the front, it had the lights that popped up, you know, yeah, so I'd be riding down the road and have my lights popped up. Somebody would be driving past me, I would just like blink them, you know? <laughs> so it felt like my Honda was alive. It was awesome. Nothing fancy, but it was reliable. Now I drive a 2008 Honda Ridgeline. The seats are falling apart. My, my boys asked me the other day, uh, this past week, they said, they said, why is your seat falling apart right here, like on, on the right-hand side of the seat? Like the leather's all, the fake leather, vinyl, whatever is coming off. I said, it's because when you were young, I used to reach my hand around and just like hold your hand to get you to go to sleep. So now that right there, because my deodorant probably has aluminum in it, like it's, it's destroyed the leather, you know? So, so that chair is breaking down. But guess what? When I go out here today and crank up that Honda Ridgeline, guess what's gonna happen? It may not because the glove box, <laughs> the glove box doesn't close all the way. And so there's a light in there. And so the battery is constantly like, good, good, good. I'm like, oh, come on, come on. But it's probably gonna crank up, all right? It's reliable. When we look at the life of Daniel, he's like just a good old reliable family sedan. Nothing fancy. He just remains faithful where God has him. I know growing up, I was uh, often encouraged. I, I would read, uh, I read a good bit as a kid, but I remember reading biographies of missionaries. I was like, man, I wanna be like Jim Elliott. I wanna be like Adoniram Judson. I want somebody to write a book about me one day. If somebody does that, then I'll know that I made an impact for the kingdom of God. Can I tell you something, friend? Nobody's ever gonna write a book about me. And that's okay. There are dozens here in this room that nobody's probably ever going to write a book about. There are hundreds of thousands, I would dare say millions of believers who have gone before us who nobody is ever going to write a book about. But it's because of their family sedan-like faithfulness that we sit here today. It's because of the faithfulness of kids' workers that our children this morning get to hear about the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's because of folks showing up early that we have signs set up out here so that people know that we want to see their faces here on a Sunday morning so that we get to greet them with the hands and the feet of Jesus Christ. That's what we are. There, there are folks this morning who, who got here early to cut bread and to put juice in bowls. The band and the AV team were here early to lead us in worship of a holy triune God. Many of us are on serve teams. I just want to say thank you. Thank you for your faithfulness. I was reminded this past week of uh, Eugene Peterson. Uh, he was a pastor. He actually is the one responsible for uh, the message Bible. He wrote most of that for his children, in fact, but his memoir is called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. Long Obedience in the Same Direction. Here's what's interesting. He actually got that 
quote, that phrase from a longer Nietzsche quote. So Nietzsche said, he said, in order to find, you're like, whoa, 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 where is this going? Can I just say it for a minute? I think it's interesting that we can find truth even from an unbiblical non-Christian source. So please, I'm not holding that up here saying, hey, Bible, Nietzsche, okay? But here's what's interesting is that Nietzsche said, in order to find life's purpose, it requires long obedience in the same direction. And you this morning, not because of the words of a dead philosopher who didn't believe God, but based on the word of God, when we look at Daniel and look at so many here in the word of God and we look at those around us and we look at those who have gone before us. It is a long obedience in the same direction that fulfills the mission of God. The faithfulness that Daniel had is a long obedience in the same direction. His eyes were set on the prize, which is the presence of Jesus Christ. He saw a greater reality than what was just in front of him. He saw a greater reality than Georgia being unbeaten. He saw a greater reality than the Falcons continuing to lose so we get a better draft pick. He saw a greater reality than your house being decorated early for Christmas. He saw a greater reality than your kids being so successful that you get to retire early. He saw a greater reality than that. May we have the the eyes and the mindset and the focus of Daniel that we realize that Something worse than death, something worse than physical pain is a reality that is not connected to the Father. May that be true of us. May we live a life of long obedience in the same direction. But then we pick up in these next verse. I told you I was going to go through these quickly. I lied about that. So I like to repent and um, I'll do my best from here on out. Pick up in verse number 21. So the king calls out to Daniel. Verse 21, the Daniel said to the king, oh, king, live forever. He didn't say, what's wrong with you? Why'd you put me in the middle of this pit? How could you, oh, king, live forever? Man, faithfulness in the same direction. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouths and they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him. And also before you, oh, king, I have done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. Now, 20, 25 years ago, we heard about this thing called the Daniel fast taken from chapter one. And we said, that's not really the point of the passage. The only fasting that we see in the entire book of Daniel is right here in chapter six. We saw the king fasting. We see the lions fasting. That's it. King didn't eat, lions don't eat. That's the only fasting we see. So if you want to go by that diet, it's only going to work for a matter of days, but you can do that. I want you to look at 1 Peter uh, chapter 5 with me, if you would. These verses will be up on the screen, starting in verse number 8. Here's what I want us to see. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him. Firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. 
To him be the dominion forever and ever. Here's the second thing that I want us to see this morning is that Daniel was faithful in the, th- in the face of the threat of roaring lions because he trusted in the one who shuts the mouth of the great lion, whose name is Satan. His faith was not in the fact that he could overcome these physical lions, but his faith was in God. Now, there's a very slight chance, minuscule chance, that a lion is going to walk into your home this week. There, there's a very, now a couple years ago, there, were, there was a tiger that got loose on Jodico Road. Remember hearing about that? And I loved reading that story uh, in, the, in the outlet because the, the company that was transporting it, uh, I think his name was Joe. Um, some of y'all got that. Lion King. So I think it was, it, this lion was going down to Florida and, uh, and Joe Exotic in his interview afterwards, he said, we don't know how the tiger got out, but we're not going to let it happen again. Verbatim. Now that's some good reporting. Like, thanks WSB TV, you know. We woof. Thanks, Joe. <laughs> Light up another one. Get them back, back on the road, you know. See you in Tallahassee. I don't know. But the chances of us seeing a lion in the wild are very small, incredibly small. There's a greater chance, though, of your wife walking in and saying something that really just sets you off. There's a greater chance of your kids not responding to your control and power in your home or your husband coming in and saying something very mean or demoralizing to you. Am I right? In that moment, the enemy, the devil, is tempting you to respond with faith in yourself or fear because you don't know what's going to happen. Those are the options there. But faithfulness in God responds with love. It responds in love. We're all going to be confronted this week, tempted with lashing out in anger and hatred. That's out of fear. I experienced this last night. I told my younger son who's back there, not you, Axel. You always obey perfectly. I told my younger son, Kingston, I told him to go clean something up. He didn't do it, and I just felt my internal temperature go from like 98.6 degrees to 212 degrees Celsius immediately. And I was just like, and I thought, why am I feeling this? It's because he's supposed to do what I tell him to do. Because who's in control? Big Daddy Mike. Who has the power in this home? To dictate obedience? That's right. Papa, he pays the bills. In that moment, I was not responding with love to my son. Now, was he being disobedient? Absolutely. Is it the wrath of God that leads to repentance? Yeah, right? In my home, I'm exacting the wrath of God because that's going to lead my kids. It's the kindness The kindness of God is what draws us to repentance. The devil's going to show up in your home this week. How are you going to respond? By giving in or with faithfulness to God? The accuser is going to remind you of failure this week. 
Man, can you, can you believe what you looked at? Can you believe what you were thinking? Can you believe what you did? Can you believe who you were back then? Can you believe that you responded to your wife in that way? We have a couple of options. Either we can have faith in ourselves and self-justify and step into self-righteousness and, and try to cover over that and do better the next time and it's all up to me. Or we can, in faith, say, hallelujah, my sin is nailed to the cross Amen. You're right, devil. I am messed up. I am a sinner. Yeah, I'm not perfect, but Jesus Christ is. And then when you turn to look the accuser in the face, guess what? He's gone. Because of the name of Jesus, our enemy must flee. We can either look to ourselves to save ourselves, which is really difficult because we're the problem. See that circular reasoning is real tight. Or we can look at Jesus and run to him in the midst of pain, in the midst of happiness, in the midst of joy, in the midst of failure. We experience the grace of Jesus. So Daniel is here in the lion's den. His faith is in God. The jaws of our greatest enemy, the devil, is lurking after you. It requires the same faith that Daniel had. Verse number 24 this is a scary verse. And the king commanded, and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions, they, their children, and their wives. And before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. So does God deliver? We just saw a couple of different things right here in the last few verses. Does, does God deliver? Everybody says, yes. Does God also destroy? Yes, he absolutely does. Does this seem fair for these wives and kids? No. Now, this is not God throwing them into the pit. This is because of the law of the Medes and the Persians. But can I just warn us men, fathers, husbands, the decisions that we make with our time, with our eyes, materially, sexually, educationally, geographically, where we live, the things that we do, the way that we speak, it will often lead to either deliverance or destruction for our families. Yeah, but what about the sovereignty of God? Absolutely. And what about every single book in the Bible that talks about the sovereignty of God and the place of men in the home, the place of parents in the home, the responsibility that we have, the care, the care that we have for everyone within our reach, our kids, our wives, our neighbors, those we work with. The warning here is for men. Be careful. Verse number 25 then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in the earth, peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble in fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and he rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. We saw this same declaration, this proclamation of King Neb back in chapter four 
almost verbatim the same, the same type of thing. Here's what I want us to see. The third thing this morning is that we are called to the world for its good, not for ours. We are called to the world for its good, not ours. Even Darius here recognizes the, uh, who's a pagan, he recognizes the power of God. Darius recognizes the power of God through the faithfulness of Daniel. May that be true in our lives. We saw several weeks ago that we are not to separate from the world. Neither are we to assimilate into the world. But in Matthew 5, Jesus says that we are to be salt and light to the world. I've never, well, and for centuries past, salt has not just been used for flavoring food, for adding depth and quality, allowing you to taste uh, a greater flavor profile. But for centuries, for millennia, salt has been used to preserve food. But here's the thing, salt has never been used to preserve things like watermelons or potatoes. You know why? Because they don't quickly go bad. Salt is used to preserve things like meat because it has a propensity to spoil. It will quickly go bad. Jesus Christ left his throne in heaven, which was real great. It was awesome. The band was on point. The preaching was solid. The air was comfortable. The seats were cushiony. You could be out by 1145. Like it was awesome. It was perfect. He left that and came down to sinful humanity to identify with us. That was his mission for the world. That's our mission. We have been left here, not for ourselves, not for everything that I just described, but for the sake of those around us. We are to be salt to the ends of the earth because the world has a propensity. It's normally, it's easily going to go bad and we are here to preserve the world, not for the sake of the world, but to show them a better reality, the kingdom of God. Verse number 28, we see the chapter closes here. So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius, and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. If you remember, if you go back to chapter one and verse number 21, it's actually kind of a bookend to this entire story because 121 says this, that Daniel was here through this reign. So he's saying this has been the story of Daniel. The reason that Cyrus is important is because it's under the reign of Cyrus that the people of God are allowed to go back into their homeland. They go back to Jerusalem. They go back there and they begin to rebuild the temple. Why is that important? Because eventually who is going to come from that homeland, from that area? Jesus Christ. That's why next week we begin celebrating Advent. Because here Daniel was faithful and eventually the people of God are preserved through this family sedan-like faithfulness. And the promise of Jesus Christ is fulfilled hundreds of years later. The fourth thing I want us to see this morning is that the journey of Daniel is the journey of every Christian's life. The journey of Daniel is the journey of every Christian's life. By faith, friend, while we are here in exile, eventually we are going to be put in a pit to die. And we are going to be raised to be with Christ forever in a palace with him, with glory unending. See here, Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius. Now, 
the wrong interpretation, moral application of the story. The wrong one is this. Well, since Daniel prospered tangibly in this world because he had faith and the lions didn't eat him, then if I have enough faith, then nothing bad is ever going to befall me. I'll do you one better. There's a guy in the New Testament. His name is Jesus. He was perfect. He had greater faith than even Daniel had. He had a better relationship with the father than even Daniel had. He didn't live quite as long as Daniel. Why? He lived perfectly and he was put to death. So the promise this morning, friend, is not that if you have enough faith, then life is going to go well for you. The promise is that if you have faith in Jesus Christ, then you get life. Life is the promise, eternal life. You get the presence of God. Look at Psalm chapter 22 with me. Flip over there real quick. Psalm chapter 22. This is about Jesus. You'll recognize in verse number one, here's the promise of Jesus. Here's what happened to Jesus, okay? So we have the picture here of Daniel, his faithfulness. Man, it's incredible. The point is not physical, tangible salvation today. The point is faith in Jesus. Psalm 22 begins like this. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Does that sound familiar to you? Who uttered those words? Jesus, when he was where? On the cross. Psalm 22 points to Jesus on the cross. He says, why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, Jesus cries out, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but I find no rest. Then he talks about how he was formed from a virgin. He lived perfectly in verse number nine. Yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breast. On you was I cast from my birth and from my mother's womb, you have been my God. Notice his prayer to God. Be not far from me. The trouble is near and there is none to help. Many bulls encompass me. Strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like a ravening and roaring lion. Verse 14, I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a pot's herd and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. Verse 16, for dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. I count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothing, they cast lots. Verse 19, but you, O Lord, do not be far off. Oh, you may help. Come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. Can I tell you, friend, that Jesus was not spared on the cross. So if you're like, man, I want to be like Daniel. Man, that's awesome. That's awesome. Our goal is not to be like Daniel but it's to be filled with the power of Jesus. That's who we are pursuing is Christ. In Christ here, in verse number 26, he said, the afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. The reason, friends, that we can gather and that we can praise the Lord 
The reason that life is offered is because Jesus Christ was put up onto a cross, but then he was placed into a pit where he suffered death, the dust of death, but he rose three days later. He rose for us and he offers us life through his power, through his presence. He defeats the enemy that we could not defeat. The enemy of Satan, of the devil, of the evil one. He defeats, he crushes our sin. Here's the last thing I want us to see this morning is that you will be delivered if you have faith and destroyed if you reject his mercy. You will be delivered, maybe not in this life. Maybe not in this life. In fact, there's a 100% chance, a very small chance you're gonna see a lion this week, a 100% chance that you're going to experience death. He may not rescue you from death, but he can deliver you into a palace with him forever. That's the good news of the gospel. Jesus Christ came down and identified with us on the cross. He was devoured by lions so that we could experience escape. So you either respond to his mercy by rejecting him and one day going into that pit that we call a grave the, the, the story of Daniel is not about what's going to happen in this life. It's, it's about what's going to happen once you enter into the grave because you will either experience eternal condemnation and separation from Jesus Christ or you'll be raised to life and be in the presence of God forever. Those are the options. And I would plead with you this morning to put your faith in Jesus Christ that you would fall upon his mercy even anew this morning. I want to do something for a moment. If you would bow your heads, close your eyes with me. Some of you here would say, man, I have faith. I put my faith in Jesus Christ and I'm struggling. May this be our prayer this morning, even in the stillness and the quiet of this moment. I believe, but help my unbelief. I believe, I believe in what Jesus Christ has done, but help my unbelief. There would be others sitting here this morning. You would say, I have never put my faith and hope in Jesus Christ. You say, but I want to. I want to follow him. I want to surrender my life to him. Can I ask you to pray this prayer with me? Nothing magical in the words. You're not going to find it in the Bible anywhere but you're gonna find the command to repent in the word of God. And so this is what we're gonna to do together. If you wanna pray these words silently there with me, you can pray directly to God the Father. You say, Father, I surrender all that I am. I'm sick of running from you. I am sick and tired of my sin. I see my waywardness for what it is. I receive your mercy, your grace, that which has been given and poured out on me that I could not earn, that I do not deserve. I place my trust in you today and for all time.
Thank you for placing the wrath that I deserve on Jesus Christ, your son. My hope is in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He alone is my salvation. In Jesus' name, I pray. And folks, with your eyes still closed, your head still bowed, how many would say, I prayed that prayer for the very first time this morning? Would you just lift your hand up, slip it up and slip it right back down? Amen. And I would plead with you as you have prayed that prayer to come see me afterwards. Come see one of our pastors. Come see Chris or Caleb or somebody who was on stage this morning. Father, we pray that we as those who have faith in this room, that as we believe that you would help our unbelief. May our eyes be set on Christ, the author and finisher of our faith. And all God's people said, amen. We get to celebrate the presence and the provision of Christ in a tangible way this morning through this meal that we call communion. You see, when Adam and Eve ate of the fruit, Jesus had to come and identify with them in their sinfulness. This morning, as we partake of this bread and of this juice at these stations around the room, we are identifying with Christ in victory. We are identifying with him even while in the midst of exile. We look back at what he has done for us. We can look even here at what he is continuing to do through us. And that gives us hope and peace because we know that one day we are going to be with him for all time. So we look forward to that day. And may we have a long obedience in the same direction. May we, be not, may we not be consumed with fear, but faith. Let's be reminded of that this morning as we partake in these elements. This is for those uh, who are part of a local church, who are in good standing. This is a time for us to examine our hearts before God. So may we repent of sin, remember what Christ has done, and rejoice in our standing before him. Family, you're invited to partake with me.